Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. Each week we're taking a closer look at the events and issues moving us here in Germany's capital and in Europe. I'm your host, Sumi Samaskanda. Ich weiß nicht, ob man das hier sagen kann, aber es ist die Bazooka, mit der wir das Notwendige jetzt tun. Germany has passed an historic aid package worth 750 billion euros to soften the blow that the coronavirus pandemic is having on the economy. We just heard Olaf Scholz, Germany's finance minister, describing the package as a bazooka, unprecedented in post-war Germany. It means that the German government is abandoning the very economic policy that it's stuck to since 2013, the Schwarze Null, or Black Zero, so a balanced budget. What will this historic package get Germany through the crisis? And what is the picture on the European level? How are EU member states working together or not? Well, I'm in my home studio, and like most of you, I'm talking to people on the phone or video conferencing, so things might sound a little bit different. And today I've got two guests with me on the line. Terry Schultz is a freelance reporter in Brussels covering the EU, NATO, and security for NPR and DW News. Hi, Simi. And Noah Barkin is a fellow host of Studio Berlin and a senior visiting fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Hi, Sumi. Thanks both for joining me on the line in these uh, very surreal times. Uh, Noah, I want to start with you. We were just talking about this uh, massive aid package that the German government has passed. What is in this and what will it do? Well, uh, as you said, it's about uh, 750 billion euros. This is really enormous, about 10% of German GDP. And there are many aspects to this package. There's 156 billion euros in a supplementary budget for this year. That includes money, extra money for intensive care beds, protective gear, face masks, sort of some of the direct issues that the government is wrestling with in combating the coronavirus spreading here in Germany. So in addition to this 156 billion euros, there's an economic stabilization fund of 100 billion euros, which is meant to prevent bankruptcies and unwanted takeovers. So it would allow the government to take direct equity stakes in companies. So we could see an an extraordinary state intervention in the private sector. Uh, And then uh, there's another 100 billion euros in a government loan to the state bank KFW, which will be able to provide loans to struggling businesses. And then another 400 billion euros in loan guarantees. So, So this is really a combination of money to deal with the immediate effects of the crisis and also helping companies that are obviously because the economy is just pretty pretty much shut down they are struggling and uh and and so this gives money to banks to, to lend to struggling companies it guarantees a good part of the loans that banks will be giving these companies so the hope is that this will cushion the blow everybody expects the german economy to uh to go into recession uh the only question is how deep it it will be and uh, and the government is trying to prevent it from being too deep and too lasting. And Noah, just to follow up on that, you mentioned companies getting help. I mean, which companies, which industry sectors here are uh, being assisted in this time? This really applies to all companies from small um, small businesses to slightly bigger sort of Mittelstand uh, companies uh, that really form the backbone of the German economy and also bigger companies, big companies like Lufthansa, for example, who, whose business has just shut down virtually completely. 
to keep going, uh, they need support from the government. Um, but, you know, living here in Berlin, you look around, the restaurants are closed, the cafes are closed down, the, um, you know, the haircutters, all these people now have a right to apply for state support. Um, so this is really trying to help companies from the smallest to the biggest across the board. All right, so that's how things look here in Germany. Terry, I want to ask you, how does that line up with what we're seeing European Union member states doing really across the board? What it looks like in Germany is always a harbinger of what it looks like in the rest of the European Union. The big talk in Brussels is this word corona bonds, and that is a call by by nine uh, member states for the EU to issue low debt bonds uh, that would help the struggling governments. But um, Germany says absolutely no, it does not want to make its taxpayers fund uh, the crisis in other countries, which of course reminds us all of the financial crisis um, a decade ago. But uh, this is something that is still very much on the table. It's uh, really neuralgic for Italy and Spain who feel like they're being left alone financially. Um, and, you know, they've got the frugal northern countries led by Germany, the Netherlands, uh, and now Finland, and, uh, and also Austria saying they're just, they're just not going to do this. And so it remains to be seen what tools um, the commission and um, Eurozone finance ministers come back with in a couple of weeks. The result of, of a European commission video conference last week was that they couldn't agree because of this split and what they did was tell their ministers to come up with new proposals within two weeks. Of course, Italy and Spain's heads just exploded, saying two weeks is much too long to wait. You know, we're stuck here. Terry, we heard the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen speaking last week, talking about national measures, decrying national measures being taken instead of a, a European approach, a coordinated approach. What was she getting? I mean, what kind of actions was she talking about? That's right. And her remarks were really um, portrayed as, uh, you know, extremely uh, blunt. Uh, she said, standing on the floor of the European Parliament, that she had seen countries acting on their own behalf and that this just couldn't happen, that this was not, not the EU. Um, what she meant at that point was uh, what happened initially with with um, Italy at first, you know, asking for help with protective equipment and countries, including Germany, closing its borders uh, to exports. Um, and, and literally at the, in the beginning, nobody sending Italy any protective gear. That has now changed and other countries have agreed to share. But, uh, you know, von der Leyen was, was uh, not mincing words on this. Um, and interestingly, on my beat on the other side of town, Italy and Spain made a request through NATO as well. And it was quite interesting because immediately the Czech Republic came up with 10,000 protective uh, suits for Italy and 10,000 protective suits for Spain. And I mean, countries are stepping up eventually, but not as much as the southern countries that are the hardest hit would have liked to see, not as much as the European Union itself would like to see. Noah, as we talk about what really is an unprecedented crisis, so not only a public health crisis, but also very much an economic crisis, um, how significant is it that Germany is abandoning this policy of Schwarze Null, this balanced budget? Yeah, well, the Schwarze Null has been around since, I think, 2013, 2014. Germany wanted to sort of set an example for other countries uh, in, in the Eurozone, countries like Greece, Spain, Portugal, who required bailouts during the uh, crisis. Um, and so the Schwarze Null has become a sort of mantra here in Germany. 
you know, it, it basically represents this sort of German fiscal discipline. There have been calls uh, for Germany to abandon this balanced budget focus for, for many years. Um, you know, interest rates have been very low uh, for a long time, ever since uh, the financial crisis. It is quite significant that they are abandoning this, this Spatzenul, the balanced budget. It kind of points to the seriousness of this crisis, um, that, that Germany so swiftly abandoned something that um, they have refused to, to even question for, for so many years. We talked about the 750 billion euro uh, package that they've unveiled. Uh, Germany is now saying, look, we squirreled away our money for years. Now, when the crisis is hitting, uh, we have the, the spending power to, uh, to come to the rescue of the economy. So Germany is still maintaining this was a good policy. And it's, it's also pointing to other countries in Europe who, who maybe don't have that financial flexibility in this crisis because uh, they weren't as disciplined as Germany was. Right. That's an argument we've heard a lot here in Germany, you know, saving in the good times to prepare for the bad times. Terry, how does it look on the European Union level? I mean, what was the economic situation before this hit? Well, one would think that they'd had um, quite a testing period a decade ago, right? That I mean, so many even of the phrases that we hear coming out of politicians' mouths are the same, like we shouldn't have to pay for those countries that didn't save for bad times. Um, but I think that, again, what really dominates here is not even the numbers as much as the feeling of a lack of solidarity. And we see this come up every time there's a crisis that crosses borders, which most of them do with migration, was the last time that things were this, um, this tense. You have politicians in some countries, for example, publicly, the Dutch government really being um, quite nasty about the southern countries as if corona were of their own making, as if this were purely a matter of, of bad financial planning. You know, nobody was, was ready for this. You know, many other countries, including France, for example, you know, are rushing to, to Italy and Spain's defense saying, who could have predicted this? But, it, you know, it has also brought in some other ugly features like China rushing over equipment, which later, to some extent, turned about out to be defective. Russia also taking advantage of the situation. And we're talking a lot about that disinformation campaign, those disinformation campaigns that are being really exploited by Russia. And even um, I listened to a conversation last week that um, Russia and China are both now trying to exploit disinformation channels to really pick at the solidarity of the, of the EU, which certainly doesn't need any help being torn down. So there are a lot of dangerous elements to this, you know, when, when the EU looks vulnerable, when, when they don't back each other up. So Terry, do you think that Europe could emerge from this stronger or very much weakened? I don't think we know yet. And I think that both, both outcomes are possible. You know, there, there are a lot of these now cross-border initiatives at the citizens level that, that do seem to be pulling people together, even something as simple as, you know, everyone clapping for healthcare workers and, and frontline uh, workers, you know, at 8 p.m. around Europe. That really makes people feel good. But is it enough at a political level? We don't know. And, and let's not forget another big question. They don't even have a budget. And, and it's very hard to discuss one at this moment. They've got a seven-year budget looming, which was already so divisive um, about some of the things that you know, have, have, have now been brought to the fore. 
right now I, I'm pretty pessimistic. I've been locked up with my kids for three weeks. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't feel very, um, I don't feel uh, very enlightened about this whole situation. Um, but I don't know. I don't think because we haven't hit peak infection periods in a lot of, in most European Union countries yet, I don't think we know yet um, whether we'll fall apart or we'll hang together. Quick last question to you, Noah. How much optimism and solidarity do you think there is on the German end? Right now in Germany, I, I think the feeling is, uh, there isn't a feeling of panic. I, I would not say that. Um, but there's already a debate starting about, you know, when we, and this isn't, this isn't limited to Germany, there's debate about when we uh, come out of, you know, some sort of exit strategy. When can we uh, loosen the restrictions? And, and the fact is, that the worst of the crisis is, is still to come in terms of infections, in terms of deaths. You know, nobody is talking about exiting from these restrictive measures in the next month or two. I think it, we're, we're looking towards the summer and hoping that before the summer that uh, perhaps some of these restrictions can be eased and that the economy can get going again. Um, I mean, that's the most important thing for Europe, for the economy to, to get back on its feet. And, and the longer we're facing these restrictions as individuals, but also as, as companies, you know, the deeper this, this depression or recession is going to last and the harder it is to going to be to, to come back out of it. And, and that's going to be significant for Europe. Uh, the longer it lasts, the more divisive uh, I think we can expect it to be within Europe. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Terry Schultz, a freelance reporter in Brussels for NPR and DW News, and Noah Barkin, fellow host of Studio Berlin, senior visiting fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Thank you both. Pleasure to be with you, Simi. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to the local level. What does this crisis mean for businesses here in Berlin? You're listening to KCRW Berlin on 104.1 FM. Hey, you, you've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, The Takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. PRI's The World brings you voices from around the globe. It's your daily source for international news and a gateway to cultures beyond our borders. I'm Marco Werman. Join me right here for the next edition of The World. Tune in to The World Tuesday through Saturday mornings at 8 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. I'm your host, Sumiso Maskanda. And this week, we're talking about the economic impact of the coronavirus on countries and companies, but also on freelancers and local businesses. Restaurants, bars, museums, they've all shut down, and they're trying to get through the coming weeks and months. I wanted to talk to people who've been affected by this massive disruption. First, I caught up with Jennifer Mann. She's a longtime yoga and dance instructor here in Berlin. Yoga studios, dance studios, they are closed. So I wanted to hear how she's been coping and adapting. Jenny, how long have you been teaching yoga in Berlin? I've been in Berlin 23 years, uh, mm. and I've been teaching yoga uh, for 17 years. So I've been teaching a rather long time here. 
That is a long time. And, you know, we're talking on Zoom right now because you actually finished teaching a class just now on Zoom. Uh, what was it like? Well, you know, I'm warming up to it. It feels a little bit artificial in the sense, you know, I'm really a teacher teacher. I like to see my students in front of me. I like to give them feedback. I like to greet them before and after the class. You know, Zoom allows me to talk to people before and after. Um, but I, you know, I don't have a sense of how are they feeling after the class or if they have specific questions for me. So I feel a little irresponsible in the sense I'm, you know, it's not really teaching, it's more giving a class, you know, and, and one of my students was there today and she said, this is the compromise, you know, at least we have you, at least we have the sequence. So I'm seeing it as a creative tool and it's the only tool we have right now to communicate to our students. So um, I'm trying to handle it in a, in a positive way. You are an instructor at a few studios in Berlin. So how has this actually changed your work, both, um, you know, what your week looks like now and also what kind of financial implications it's had for you? Well, you know, I was, uh, I'm also teaching in a dance school here in Berlin in dance works. And before this crisis began, I was teaching about, you know, 12 classes a week, which is actually a lot and maybe too many. But then suddenly now I am teaching four to maybe five classes a week, one, once a day, you know, so it really split it down to half. I spend a lot of time traveling from studio as a freelancer, traveling about from place to place on my bicycle. So I'm enjoying having a little more energy and saving energy, teaching a little bit less, but financially, of course, it has a repercussion and I, I'm kind of in denial. I haven't looked so closely at it yet. And I'm feeling, okay, now it's the end of the month. I'll be paying bills on the weekend. So I think it will become an issue <laughs> in the next few days. You know, the income is less if you're teaching online as well. In fact, many of the studios haven't 100% decided how they will pay us. It was most important to be present, to be out there and to help people because people really need yoga now more than ever. So that was the main intention of getting going. It was not about the money, actually. And so this is becoming an afterthought, and I really don't know yet. I can't answer your question 100%, but, you know, obviously I am taking a financial blow. Are you worried about that in the, in the long term? I mean, obviously this is all still very new, and you said, you know, you haven't really taken in the financial aspect of it yet, but are you worried about this going on for, for a longer period of time? Well, I'm not allowing myself to worry about what I can't control. I only have a certain amount of control over myself and my family life here and the work I'm doing now from home. And that's the only thing I can do at this moment. So to worry about that really doesn't bring anything. You know, it's wait and see. You know, this conversation I'm having with you now might be dramatically different in four months if I'm in the same position. <laughs> But right now, I, I don't allow myself to, to get into that mind frame where I'm calculating and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't help me um, stay stay creative and and moving forward what about the studios where you teach um what does the situation look like for them and how are they kind of coping with the situation in terms of looking at ways to get through this i know they've been working like 24 hours to get this online program started and i work for yoga sky and also for yellow yoga and another uh, dance studio called Marameo, and all three studios have been working very hard and pouring a lot of love into creating the technology for this to happen. 
they're also not so uh, wrapped up in, okay, we got to get online to earn more money <laughs> or to, to cover the debts that might occur with the crisis going on right now. I, I really don't think that is in the forefront, in, especially with the yogic attitude. Is let's be present and let's help people. And so, yeah, I'm assuming they're in the same position as a larger a larger group, uh, a community, you know, they will also have a lot of bills to pay with the empty studios <laughs> and their rents continue on. So it is, um, it is a concern that they have. And, and some of my um, bosses, or I should say the organizers of these studios have their own the personal funds invested into the studio. So I, I know it's a concern we're not really communicating that uh, openly, but I know it's a concern. Yeah, that's how it's going right now. And can I just ask what your life looks like now? I mean, you have a family as well. Has it been hard to continue the schedule when everyone's uh, at home? Um, you know, we had a few <laughs> kind of funny arguments. Uh, you know, look in retrospect, there I can be, have humor about it. We had a few small disagreements when the homeschooling began and, you know, what time do we eat? What time do we study, what time do we work, what time do we play. I suggested let's really eat at the same time every day and let's have the studying, you know, take place in these hours. And it really seems to be working, having a structure. Uh, and my son has reported, you know, he's given feedback. He really likes the homeschooling. I mean, he's a teenager, he's 14. So he knows how to study by himself. And he's enjoying deciding when he wants to do what, you know, in the hours he has. So so far, it's been very positive. I, I'm very surprised. You know, I'm encouraging them stay as healthy as you can. Um, you know, that we need to sleep well, we need to eat well, we need to keep ourselves healthy, so that when we do go out into the world, we're not infecting anyone, and that we stay peaceful at home. Because, it, you know, this is really now the home life, I feel like is the most important. It's our base now. And it's the heart of all of our interactions. And, and we need this, this stability and the strength that to endure the unknown, which is what we're all facing right now. All right, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on Studio Berlin. Thank you, Sumi. I then caught up with Carla Molino. She's a co-owner and co-founder of Il Kino. That's a small art house cinema in Berlin. Uh, Carla's originally from Rome. She started the theater in 2014, screening independent films from around the world. But just a few weeks ago, Il Kino had to close its doors because, like many places, Berlin has strict measures to keep people at home and non-essential businesses closed. And now Carla's figuring out how to keep the cinema going. Carla, what have the financial implications been for your business so far? So my first thoughts, first of all, was for my employees. They have eight people working for me, and I, I'm not able to pay them. And then I, I found out that... Uh, uh, there is a support from the state and they they will get the 60% of the what they are supposed to get from us paid so which is already something good so i don't have to uh, leave them without a job they will get the financial support which is really good for them and for me secondly have a rent to pay have um, gas electricity insurance have several costs that every month i have to pay and if i don't earn money i'm not able to pay all these things that's why um, i was scared of uh, not being able to survive 
this period of time, which we don't know how long it's going to be. Right. And so you said you've applied for this Berlin um, regional government funding that's essentially a fund set up to help uh, people who are self-employed, small businesses like yours. How long will that help you for? I would say for sure three months. Uh, this is what uh, they are. this money are supposed to be for three months. And this money will, I have to use this money just to cover this cost I mentioned before. So the rent, gas, electricity, insurance, only this cost. Um, on top of it, we got uh, 10,000 euros from, from Median Board, Brandenburg, which uh, brought all the cinemas in Berlin, independent cinemas in Berlin, an email just to inform us they were, they were going to uh, transfer to our account 10,000 euros just to help us to uh, survive this difficult moment for us. Okay. And also I've seen on your website and on social media that you've actually reached out to the community around you and also to Berliners to ask for people to buy gift certificates, essentially uh, to donate as well to keep your business going. How uh, has the response been to that? A week ago, we started selling a um, gift card in our website. And I was really surprised because we sold in three days 150 good shines, so a um, gift card. And this is also money that we need to have now. Of course, this is money that we would use from, so, and not, not donations. So people who bought this gift card will come and watch film and the kino when we will be able to open again. But it, just to have cash money is, uh, is good. And I'd also to feel this uh, affection from our guests that want to us to be there again soon and uh, and to come watch film at, uh, in our cinema. This is also a good uh, psychological help for us. And Carla, last question. How optimistic are you about the future of your theatre going forward? Of course, I'm concerned about the cinema, and uh, which is my life, is uh, what I live for. This is what is my job. This also was my dream to uh, have a cinema, and I'm so happy. I have this cinema. I'm really worried about what's gonna happen now with this uh, virus. So um, it's really connected to our life and the economy with the, uh, with the health of uh, many people around the world. So I cannot be worried only about the cinema. I'm sure that when it's finished, people will go to the cinema again and will go <laughs> probably more to the cinema. But it takes a while, I think. And what makes me worried about, I don't know how long does it take. And this is my, what makes me a bit uh, anxious at the moment. When we will have another, uh, our old normal life, I don't know yet. Your thoughts must be very much with the people in Italy as well. Yes, of course, because I see what is happening there. In Italy, many people died, are dying, and uh, the life of many people is, is changing a lot. And what I'm also worried about and concerned about that where I live in Berlin, especially in the area where uh, Il Kino is, I have the impression that they have not understood what's going on. People just go my bakufa where the cinema is normally 
and they have rings along the canal. They have picnic. So, and this is um, this not understanding what we are living makes me feel less anxious because if they don't understand now, it takes longer just to have a normal life here. And so that's why I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried now. Carla Molino, thank you so much for joining us in Studio Berlin. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. Thanks to all of my guests. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening to Studio Berlin, our current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. Tune in next week at the same time for another episode on 104.1 FM.